if you can hear me on the live stream, <laughs> there's tech problems going on up there. So we'll try and work that out. Otherwise, uh, we'll just put this out recorded later. Um, I want to make sure I get the right water here. That one's, yeah, yeah, this one's open. This is mine. Okay. So uh, the package has been delivered. <laughs> it's great. I got this. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a text from Eva. The package is received. <laughs> so our dear friend is here. Uh, I, I don't even know how many now uh, tours we've done. I don't know if we're coming up on the fourth or if we've done four. We've done four with. This will be number four with Roni. Uh, real quickly before I bring him up here, just so you know how this all came, how we got connected with him in the first place. We had a guy that was set up, one that I did not know, but but Sandy with Madison Travel had told me, I'll, I'll, he'll do a good job for you. And then she calls me like I, just before, the, it wasn't long before the trip, maybe a month before, and said, your tour guide dropped. And I'm like, fantastic. So what are we going to do? And she said, well, I think... I think I can get Roni Winter for you. And I remember the name because Don Coughlin, you may recall Roni, uh, Don Coughlin knew Roni, had, had toured with him in a previous trip and said, oh, if you could ever get Roni, you need to get Roni. And so I remembered that and I thought, could that be the same? Turns out it, it was the same Roni. Um, we were so blessed on that first trip. And I found out halfway through the trip, he said, he said now, uh, I... I'm, I could retire any time. I do these trips because I love to. I love the land. I love doing it with the people. And I choose, I choose my tours. So I was like, oh, great. I'm like, this is it. No more tours with Roni. And about the second to last day, I leaned in on the bus and I said, so, Roni, would you choose us again? Oh, absolutely, he said. <laughs> and so we've, again, three times, and, and we're coming up on the fourth. That'll be March of this next year. So um, I am so excited. There, there's so much more I could tell you about Roni. He is uh, top of the top of the best tour guides in Israel. He knows his stuff. The rest of the tour guides, oh, we have stories. But they, they look up to him. And uh, he's an archaeologist, and he has so much information to share that uh, we hope to get you out of here by midnight. That sounds about good. Yeah. So, uh, would you welcome Roni Winter? Roni, come on up here. And uh, we're going to take you in just a minute here on a virtual tour. But before we do, have a seat. Welcome. How is traffic? Busy. <laughs> And how, and how are you feeling? Are you okay? Yes. Shalom, everybody. Hi. I'm good. It's nice to be here. It's a long way to get here. I, I just told Cheryl, you're leaving a postcard. You know, it's so beautiful. It's all green. It's not like Tel Aviv. But uh, it is nice. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. So glad you're here. Um, I'm not going to tell them that then. No. That's just between us. All right. Uh, so here comes my half-dressed grandson. I was going to say this isn't something you'd necessarily see in Israel, but in Tel Aviv, yeah, you would. You would. Of all ages, right? From 20 and up. Yeah, 20 up. <laughs> um, I'm, I want to just start, if we can, before we get to this, the slides, just to ask you a couple of questions. And maybe after we go through the slides, if there's time, if some of you want to fire off questions, uh, Roni has the right of refusal. So he can nod and say, thank you very much, and that's the end of your question. So 
Uh, first of all, can you just give us your uh, Roni in a nutshell, if you can? But just about your background. How did you get into guiding and what you can do in, in a minute? Mm. In a very short uh, minute. I, um, I was born and raised in Israel. And like this, by the way, this is the way Israelis speak English. I mean, people after a week on the tour, they speak like me. But uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in Israel, and uh, like every Israeli after the army, I went. Uh, I, I told my mother that I think it's about time to take a vacation and rest for a year in my room. And my mother is German, and rest in the room and not studying, that it doesn't go along very well. And she forced me to go and study, and I didn't have a choice, and I was looking for something which is the least to do. And eventually, I found myself studying archaeology. And, um, and uh, from archaeology, I went to what you call marine archaeology, you know, underwater archaeology. Um, it's, uh, it's because Israel, in the summertime, it's uh, 110 degrees, and you sweat, like, all the time. Underwater, it's cool. You never sweat. <laughs> and so I studied archaeology, and when I was done, I, I stayed a year in the university to uh, be what you call an assistant professor. And um, one day, they found out that I took my class with me to show them something on one of the shores. And I was called very politely to the office and to explain me that here in Israel, we don't teach outdoors. We teach indoors. And my professor said, why don't you become a tour guide? It might fit you better. And the rest is history. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yes. That's pretty good. How many tours do you tend to do now per year? I mean, forgetting COVID, I know that changed everything, but, but in a typical year before that. So I used to do many. But in the last few years, I, I do less. Um, I think about... Uh, 10, 15 tours a year, no more. Um, I, I want to enjoy myself. I mean, as long as I can walk without a walker, I want to make sure that I can really do more things. So I do about 10, 15 tours a year. That's compared to 35, which I used to do before. And um, every tour is, as you said, I, I work only with pastors that I know. Um, I want to enjoy the tour too. So, by the way, without giving too many compliments, I never missed any of your teachings, and you know that. So, for me, being on a tour and listening to the pastor, it's like being on a nonstop seminar. From every pastor, I learn a little bit, and then whatever they say which I like, I repeat after that to different tours, and they think I know a lot. <laughs> I know nothing. I just I, remember. I do the same thing here. What was the, uh, the most interesting tour? I'm sure you've done a lot, but to you, what was the most interesting tour you led? Not including us, because obviously yes. we know. I don't know. Every tour is different. You know, um, uh, as a tour guide, I meet many people. I have the option to meet many people. Some of them are well-known politicians. Some of them are well-known uh, actors. I think the funniest was uh, with the guy from Seinfeld. I forget his name now. The guy with the hair. Kramer, right. He was the funniest. And um, I do, uh, once every other year, I work with the NRA, National Rifle Association. 
which is an interesting tour. They bring the donors. Everybody who gives over $5 million to the organization uh, is invited to Israel, and it's a very unusual tour. I, I don't know. I mean, if you remember what I told you once, maybe I, I can't remember, but I do like most of my tours. I never had a bad tour. Um, I mean, all my tours were amazing. And uh, after all, you know, nobody comes to fight with the guide in Israel. You know, they come to have a good time, to learn, to study, to be with the Lord. And and they have a, and the tour itself is a, a very emotional tour. I can see how people come to Israel. Um, and I, I can witness. And this is my privilege. This is my reward. I can see what happened to the heart while they're in Israel. Uh, to study here to, and to hear about the holy sites and the, the events from the Bible is one thing. But being there on location and feel the atmosphere and sit where Jesus was sitting. And, and it's amazing. And, this is, uh, and people go home and uh, their life has been changed. And I know that. And I, I experience it all the time. And every time I don't get enough. I, every time I say, wow. What a privilege I have, you know, to see how people's heart is going to almost blown up from love to the Bible and the land. And that's beautiful. Um, one last question. Did I already say one last question? I'm extending that by one. Um, and I'm only asking this because this actually came up this last week. We address this every with every tour group. We, we talk about this, but I thought it would be good for you all just to hear from Roni. Um, and that's the issue of safety in Israel, and obviously on the U.S. side, we saw all of the rockets fired from Hamas coming across, and and all that took place recently. Um, it never, I, from my perspective, it, it's never bothered me. I mean, you know, we're I, I feel safer there than I do in downtown Seattle, which maybe that's not saying much, but uh, certainly safer than downtown Portland. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Roni, could you just just address the, I, the issue of safety for a tour group and, and even maybe a, a little bit on how it is in the land right now after the most recent Okay, just before I start, I see, I know some faces. I, remember, I, remember, I can't remember all the names, but I remember the faces. Can you raise your hand, whoever been to Israel? Right. Whoa, this is a reunion. This is not yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, you know, first of all, what you see from here is not what we see from there. Secondly, everything that you see is true. And uh, we have, uh, we have uh, every five, ten years, we have clashes with the uh, organization which is south of Israel in Gaza Strip. They, they are Hamas. It's a terror organization that on their agenda, on their manifest, is the, to destroy and make the state of Israel disappear. And... Um, and um, just before the election that took place here in Israel about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, uh, some people tried to provoke by getting into an Arab neighborhood and make a mess. And they were able to provoke. I mean, I have to say that Israeli can't stand them. These are a bunch of two people that we don't really like. And they were able to cause the Arabs, which and usually they're very peaceful and want to go to work and come back home, uh, to get upset. And... Um, and then the Hamas uh, organization down from Gaza said, if you're going to go there, we're going to shell Jerusalem. And we didn't take them seriously, and, but they did. They were trying to shell Jerusalem. Um, we have a sort of a defense system in Israel. We call it um, Iron, not Iron Dome. Iron Dome. Iron Dome, yes, thank you. Uh, which is intercepting whatever comes in. 
They never made it to Jerusalem, but Israel couldn't just say, Upla, never mind. And Israel is retaliating. We took the advantage of um, destroying the whole infrastructure of the Hamas, which is underground. Uh, and they took the, the they took the chance, and they were shelling Israel with the rockets. 99% of the rockets either were intercepted or they fell into the sea. About six or seven of them fell into the city of Ashkelon, which is about seven miles away from uh, um, from Gaza. And that was it. I mean, there, were, there was one interception above my house. Not really above my house. I live very close to the shore. I mean, over the right above the shoreline. And uh, you don't see much. You can see like a little circle of a cloud, and that's it. And the date ended like on Thursday evening. On Friday, everything was normal. People went to the beach. People went to the parks. And if I will tell you that yesterday there was a war, nobody will believe me. And there's nothing in Israel now. It's very quiet, very peaceful. Uh, almost summertime, you know, the, the kids are on, on a big summer vacation. We don't feel anything. So when it comes to security, one thing is uh, for sure, and uh, Pastor Rick knows for sure, we will never, ever let you come if we think there is a slight of a chance that anybody is going to get uh, hurt. That's, uh, that's obvious. So um, that's it. And when it comes to another issue that people ask me usually about the corona, um, until yesterday, we were corona-free. We had no corona in Israel. Um, Israel uh, was a, a Pfizer laboratory field. I mean, Pfizer. If we came to, the, to Pfizer and said, "Do you mind give, giving us uh, uh, as many as we need uh, a vaccine?" A two of them said, "Sure." And Israel, in return, opened all the files so they can see and follow up if it's the, the side effects and so on. Out of nine million people in Israel, seven million got the vaccine. Uh, and the rest are not. We had one case a day. In March, we have 5,000 a day. In the last uh, month or so, one case a day. Yesterday, they found out that uh, three kids came from India and they brought the Indian uh, mutation, and now they put the whole school in, into, uh, how do you call it, uh, insulation, uh, quarantine. So, but that's it. So now you know the situation in Israel when it comes to corona, you know the situation when it comes to security, and you know almost everything. So. Yeah. Should we go there? Can we go? I mean, on the virtually. We're going to go there next year. It's nice right. that you give me a microphone. You know, this is a mistake. Probably, yeah. To give a guy the microphone, I mean, I, wouldn't, I won't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get on an airplane here. So uh, we, uh, tonight we'll fly United. Um, this next tour is going to be Air Canada A. So you'll be flying from here to Toronto to Tel Aviv. Um, and from what I'm told from Sandy, the, the, the Air Canada fleet is, is upgraded. We actually flew, Cheryl and I did Air Canada the very, very first time we went to Israel. So uh, it's actually a really good way to go. So that, that's the, the airline we'll be flying. But tonight it's United. So we're going to wing away our way across the sky and come to the next slide. Arriving at Tel Aviv. Right. Anything you want to say, you have a mic, so you can jump in at any point, <laughs> if you'd like to. There's a map of the land. Yeah. Usually, I meet you when you get to Tel Aviv. I meet a bunch of people that come with red eyes, very happy. They, they don't want to go to sleep because the adrenaline is really mm -hmm. working. And um, that's why I meet you when we go to the hotel, to the hotel. First of all, to let you rest and, and shower and fresh up and... Uh, 
And uh, it's either we stay in Tel Aviv or we stay in Netanya. These are the options that we have. I, prefer, I like very much Netanya because it prevents the morning traffic leaving Tel Aviv and it gives me another hour uh, of touring. Uh, but uh, this is it. You can see Tel Aviv looks like, a, Israel looks like a long hot dog. Um, you know, uh, we have on the, on, the, on the west, which is on the left-hand side, we have the Mediterranean. Lebanon is up there. To the right of the map, you can see Jordan, which is the longest border with Israel. And down on the south, it's uh, Egypt. We have a peace with Egypt and Jordan. And uh, it's very quiet over there. And, and the yellow thing that you see in the middle is the West Bank. The little tiny yellow on the left on the shore, this is Gaza Strip. Very, very short, very small area. The yellow is going to be the Palestinian state in the future. I'm not talking politics now. I'm just telling you what, how things might be, be, might be happening in the next uh, few years. That's it. So we're staying right, right in the middle where you can see uh, the arrows over there. And the next morning, we are going to start our tour. And that's when it really starts. And we will be flying into Tel Aviv and going up to Netanya. So we'll start the first morning there. Um, Roni, we have the last, well, it's pre-coronavirus. We were about six chapters into Genesis when the lockdown happened here. But this fellowship has now gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. We're about to finish Numbers. And we will have done Deuteronomy before we get there. So you're going to have a group of people who have been through Torah, like within the last couple of years, going straight through it. That's a problem. <laughs> oh, you can make it up. I've, I've worked with you before. Um, I do want you to notice, though, if you look at you, so you see the up at the very top, the little dot of blue Sea of Galilee, and then you see the Dead Sea about in the middle, and then the at the very bottom is the Red Sea, and then on the left is the Mediterranean. But if you're looking at this, just for placement and where we've been in our studies, where Israel is right now in numbers about 32, 33, right in there, if you look on the map to the right, just at the top of the Dead Sea, if you can see that, it is Jericho. If you go right across the Jordan River, which is the little line at the top of the Dead Sea, that's where Israel's camped out in the plains of Moab right now in numbers before they're going to make their crossing, which is directly across from Jericho. And that's one of the sites we'll visit, um, not Jericho, but the, a site at least very close to, within maybe a few miles of their crossing, a place called Bet Abara. And we'll talk about that. So, next slide. This one just shows you where is Tel Aviv, Netanya. That's a red circle. Um, Let's go on, because I, I want to... Oh, Jaffa. Jaffa, are we going to Jaffa? Okay, depends on the arrival. Jaffa is a um, city that uh, is south of Tel Aviv, city that uh, is mentioned in the Bible in a few, few ways, sometimes Yafu, sometimes Jaffa, sometimes Jaffa. Uh, every translation goes, is going to give it a different name. Uh, for me, Jaffa is the is the place where people are, go which they're a little bit concerned. Oh, we did the right thing. Is there going to be a war? Are they going to shoot us here? So I take them to Jaffa. This is my relaxation area. People really relax. Jaffa is a city which is 4,000 years old. You know, built by the son of Noah, Japheth, Japheth Jaffa. And um, uh, usually, usually we walk around, and it's beautiful to walk. You can see um, the streets of Jaffa. It's very romantic. And what you see in the matter of fact, it's about um, yeah, a thousand years old, from the time of the Crusaders, the same Christian forces who came from Europe. And uh, I like Jaffa. I like Jaffa as a start. 
If, but it's not a must. Uh, usually, Jaffa, for me, is a connection point to Caesarea because that's where things happen. And we may stop there on the way to Netanya. It's, it's literally is on the way up just to get you some, get people walking and breathing again after the long flight and then up to the hotel. All right, next one. We only have about uh, 700 slides, so we're doing really well right now. This is, um, this is the house of Simon the Tanner. I mean, the house. Someone decided this is the house. How can you tell? I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, every archaeologist has his own desire to come with a scoop. Um, it's a very late tradition that this is where Simon the Tanner lived. Um, one thing we know for sure, it's not there. Because uh, Simon the Tanner is the guy that is going to rip the skin off the animals. A lot of smell, a lot of blood. This cannot be in the middle of the city. But tradition, we never go against tradition, so... I will tell you this, one of the things I love about touring with Roni is if it's authentic, if we know something happened here, he'll tell you. If it's not, he will tell you. And it's very easy on a tour like this to have everything romanticized and everybody's saying, like the very first time we went and we were told in the synagogue at, Caper at Capernaum that this was original floor, everyone's taking off their shoes, taking pictures of their feet. Well, it, it's not original floor it, because it's, the original would be basalt, and there's a, a spot there you can look down and see where the original synagogue was, but this synagogue was built later on top of it. It takes away from the romance of it, but then we take you to a place where you see original synagogue from the first century anyway. So um, just that's what I, one of the things that's important to me is that, you know, the Bible says truth springs from the earth. We want, we want to know the truth. What really happened, if it didn't happen here, it's just tradition, that's great. Like you said, we don't go against tradition. So keep going. Okay. St. Peter Church in Jaffa, we can go on. It's a Roman Catholic church. Oh, this one I like. Um, you know, Jaffa became to be an artist uh, colony, uh, mainly because the place was deserted and nobody wanted to live there. I remember I lived about, I was born and raised about a mile and a half away from uh, Jaffa. But Jaffa became to be the drug center. The, the, all, the, all the criminals, everything was in Jaffa. I wasn't even allowed to look toward Jaffa, nevertheless, to be there. And I remember that my mother always said, if I'm going to find out you went to Jaffa, you're going to be grounded until you're 80. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, Jaffa became, because it was deserted, Jaffa became to be an artist a colony. And one of the artists over there is collecting uh, jars, water jars. And what you see over here, you see water jars, two, four of them. The one... The, the one on the left and the one all to the right are from the first century. We can tell by the handles and uh, by, the, by the sort of decoration of them. And if they're from the first century, they're very similar to the same water jars that Jesus is going to use in Cana to perform the first miracle, to turn wine, water into wine. So that's why I put it here. That's why, that's all. They're worth, they're worth about $85,000, but nobody can lift them, so they're going to be them. <laughs> And don't try. Yes. Okay, next slide. This is the sunset in Tel Aviv or in Natanya on the Mediterranean. It's always beautiful, very, very peaceful. And then in the morning, we're going to wake up, and we're going to start and go to the first stop of the day, which is going to be Caesarea. Yeah, Caesarea, you can see it, it's along the Mediterranean, north of Tel Aviv, about, uh, about uh, 35, 40 miles from Tel Aviv, Jaffa. So if, we want, if you wonder how long did... Peter walked from Jaffa to Caesarea a day and a half, most likely. Let's go. Oh, Caesarea. Uh, just the name Caesarea, Caesar. We can right away relate it to a time. 
Herod the, the Great, that we like to call him the Great, not because he was such a lovely sweet man, he was a murderer and crazy, but he was a great builder. He was facing a problem because in the land during the time of uh, Christ, there were two peoples like there, the Jews and the non-Jews. And uh, the Jews were there already, and the non-Jews are the one who came with Alexander the Great about 200 years before, or 300 years before Herod. And many of them stayed as veterans of the army because they liked the shore and they liked the area and the connection to the Greek islands. And um, they, and they were clash. There were many clashes between the non-Jews and the, and the Jews. By the way, later on, someone gave them the title of the Gentiles. Okay, but that's for those people then. And Herod decided if he wants some quiet in the in the dairy farm, he better build a city for the non-Jews. And he built them a city and he dedicated the city to King uh, to the Caesar. And uh, of course, uh, this was a complete Roman city with everything the Jews objected was their theaters, amphitheaters, uh, hippodromes, and this is the theater that Herod built. Uh, we restored it. Um, it's, uh, it's the first ever theater in the land. If you count the seats, there are going to be 4,000 seats. For me, when it comes to archaeology, it's a very important number because according to the number of the seats, I can tell you how many people live in the city because almost a bottom, how do you call it, a bottom rule, a thumb rule, in archaeology, count the number of the seats and multiply it by 10, you have the number of the people in the city. Yeah, let's go. Okay, one more thing on there on Caesarea. Hang on, can you just go, go back real fast? Um, someone very famous stood right there at the base of that. Does anyone know who that was? No, Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> because this is, uh, because they actually use this amphitheater for live concerts in Israel. But yes, the Apostle Paul gave his offen uh, defense there before King Agrippa. And we go, something that happens on the tours, for those of you who haven't been, is uh, Roni and I enjoy working together that he will bring the archaeology and the history and, and talk about what's even present-day modern stuff, and then we'll go to the Bible, and I will teach. And so we go right to uh, late in the book of Acts, and we talk about Paul giving his defense before King Agrippa. And so we weave in, everywhere we go, we weave in uh, the Word of God. Now, I don't teach as long there as I do here, just so you know. But, you know, spot to spot. And if you've been, don't, don't say... I, like I go it. 20, 25 minutes there. But I like yeah. it when you ask me in the tour, how long do I have, and then you do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> yeah, I do. This is true. All right. You this is, um, uh, you know, um, as crazy as it sounds, Caesarea is the center of the, of, the, of the first ever Messianic Christian community that lived in big numbers underground illegally. And uh, in around 325, when Constantine is going to except Christianity, he becomes a Christian and he's going to take the Christian non-permitted religion and make it permitted. He didn't make it a state religion, it was done by Theodosius later on, but he made it a state religion. And all over the country we have the little crosses, and you can see this is a cross from the fourth, uh, from the fourth century, uh, decorating a column, you know, that was, and, um, and it's interesting because it replaces what used to be before the, the Christian side, the two, the fish that we find in some places like Megiddo. But that's it. Very Christian is the city of uh, Caesarea. Many people don't know, but the first ever translation of the Bible was done in Caesarea in around 231, much before it was done by St. Jerome in Bethlehem, about 150 years. The translation of St. Jerome is based on the Caesarea translation, which was made into the Greek, and they called it the Hexpale. But uh, uh, very Christian. When the first ever... Um, economical convention took place in uh, in uh, in Rome. The 
delegation from Jerusalem were four people and from Caesarea, 80. So you can see how big the community was. One other person who lived there in Caesarea, we know according to Scripture, was um, a man named Philip. You may remember Philip, and he famously went down to Samaria. And from Jerusalem, went down to Samaria, and there's a big revival there. And then from Samaria, God called him down to the Gaza Road, and he ran into then the, the Ethiopian eunuch and baptized him. He goes off, changed Africa, and, and then Philip ended up, the next thing we know, he, he lives in Caesarea, and we hear nothing else about him. He, no more preaching, no more teaching is talked about in the Bible. Do you know why? Anyone? Because he had four daughters who prophesied, so that was it. If you have four daughters that prophesy, you're not going to be doing a whole lot of talking after that. So next, yeah, or right here, you want to do this? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, um, this is the picture that we see when we start to walk into the latest excavation uh, in Caesarea. Uh, you can see on the right-hand side, on the upper right side, you can see the hippodrome. Uh, where, we, where we see a, a group of people walking, this is one of my groups over there, um, there's a side that I really like very much. And if you're going to go one picture forward, I'll tell you why I like it so much. Um, it's right over here. You know already, you, you, I, I told you that it's, it's almost a secret that we don't share with anybody. Under that very innocent lead is a cistern. And um, Herod is going to bring a lot of water to Caesarea. Huge amount of water. And if there is only time water flow into the city, you, need, you don't need to, I mean, to collect the water and use it later on. So most of the cistern turned to be a, sort of a storage and so this system was very unique because on one of the walls of the system, on the, the one that is facing east, we found out something unusual. Uh, we found uh, someone wrote in Hebrew the name Shaul three times. Shaul, Shaul, Shaul. Shaul is Saul, and Saul is Paul. So now we think we found out where Paul was held after he was facing uh, the governor. He said, with oh, respect, he told him. My name is Paul, and my father was a Roman citizen, and so am I, and I have the right to face the Caesar because I don't really, I don't really trust you. And he, they had to obey to send him to Rome, but they, they wouldn't send him on a big, fancy ship. Of course, they're waiting for a little tiny boat that might sink every second, and the waiting time was two years. And we think he was held in that little, tiny uh, cistern. Later on, uh, they added 33 crosses, which gives it much more meaningful. And the reason why you have 33 crosses is most likely because people believe on those days, like many nowadays, that uh, Jesus lived 33 years while he was on earth. So this is, a, this is a, one of the most important archaeological findings that we have. I keep on telling people, I know I don't have to prove the Bible. I take the Bible for granted. But I like very much when archaeology and the Bible are walking hand by hand and support each other. And like that, I don't have to see. You see, it proves. No, I don't have to prove. But I like it when it, it, it really goes hand by hand together. This is another one. Now you're asking me how long we have. Okay. No, because I then like I'll do whatever this. I want. That's my yeah, turn. Yeah, you do whatever you want. <laughs> we, um, have, we have some time. So okay. I, um, I mean, briefly. we're in Caesarea. If you've done the tour, you know we're on the first day of the tour. Yeah. We haven't even gotten past day one yet. So we'll, we'll try and pick it up a little bit. Okay. Um, I'll just say a few words about this storm because it's really super important. Uh, you know, um, Pontius Pilate was a cavalier, you know, horseman. And most likely he was uh, sort of very good in one of the battles, and Caesar Tiberius wanted to uh, do something unique and really reward him in a way. And he said, what can I do for you, Pontus? And Pontus Pilate said, if you really want to uh, give me a, a huge amount of thanks, make me a governor. And Tiberius said, sorry, I can't do that. 
And uh, you know, in order to be a governor, you must be from a noble family and you're a cavalier. You're not even a senator. I'm sorry, no. And Pontus Pilate said, okay, in that case, nothing. And then Timaeus did something unusual. He said, you know what? I'll do it like that. I'm going to send you to a faraway province, far away. There's nothing there so boring. Judea, just go there, you know, be there on my behalf. He spent 10 years in the country, uh, 10 horrible years. He killed 40,000 people during his, uh, uh, during the time of governor. And uh, he built, uh, he was so thankful to, uh, he was so built, so thankful for, for the position that he was sent to. He built a temple and he dedicated the temples to Caesar Tiberius. Now, what's the beauty about it? Early Christianity is going to have a terrible time because you're trying to prove that event happened, but you don't have a method. The worth was with the story of the trial because we have the book of the Roman Republic that gives us the name of all the governors in all the provinces, except one name is missing, Pontus Pilate. So early anti-Christian told the Christian, hey, your, your, your religion is blah, blah, because look, there is nothing. Until we found the stone, the education stone, that proves that was a Pontius Pilate. Now, no, nobody can go now against the Bible, and that's why it's so important. Never mind. Let's go on. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Long story. <laughs> I'm getting carried away when I like, see stones. Yeah. So the water. A, there's a lot of things. There's a beautiful aqueduct, but keep going. Keep on going, we're yes. We're going to roll into, so we can get to the Let's second keep, day. Uh, we're going to go now from here to uh, Megiddo. Megiddo. So still day one. This is a killer it, day. It's a long day. I love it. I love it. This is a good day because uh, people around 2 o'clock, they're done. They are in coma. I'm talking to myself. People are trying to be polite, keep their eyes open. <laughs> I mean, fun day. Anyway, Megiddo, let's go. Who is turning it? Who is turning it over? Up top. Up top. Hi there. <laughs> That's Andy. Hello. Let's go. Megiddo is a great city for us because uh, uh, it's a city that uh, is sit right on the major highway that connects between Mesopotamia, which is Iran, Iraq nowadays, and Egypt. And there was one main road. They call it the Via Maris. And this little tiny city controls the road. More than that. Um, you know, in Israel, a big part of the country is desert. So people that live in the green area, many times they're going to be attacked by the desert people. Especially when the, someone built a city next to water, next to fields. And so then comes the enemy from the desert and say, wow, look at that, water, fields, people, women. So they attack the city, kill the men, rape the women, destroy the city. And then they say, wait a second, well, what a mistake, we could have stayed. And quickly they make the city nice flat and they build another city on top of it. And then the city can be destroyed in another city. And uh, like that, we're going to have many cities on top of each other and they're going to form a hill. We call it Tel. City of uh, Megiddo has 26 layers. 26 times the city was destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, and then it turned to be into a hill. So when the kids from Chicago University came to dig here in the 1920s, I mean, how can you dig? What are you going to go? I mean, it's endless. So they came up with a new idea. They decided to do a cut. You know, when you cut a piece, and you like when you make it, take a cake and you take the face piece out, it first slice out. That's and you can see the cut here on the right hand side, and then you can dig whatever you want. But uh, again, why is it so important for us? Because of a few things. A, can you one second go one picture on? A, because uh, it's uh, this. Oh, not that much. This because okay. <laughs> you make me stuttering here. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, never mind, I can see that. Uh, 
two things. Two things. A, because of the very important teaching that we have over there, and that's uh, the teaching of Armageddon, and that's when you are there, a revelation. And secondly, because we found um, something amazing, uh, something that we didn't expect to find because uh, we, we, we were looking for stables, and we found the stables of King uh, Ahab. Three years ago, we found the stables of King Solomon. And I have to admit, for 30 years, I was saying, I was saying you know, I don't want to break any heart, but there's no anything from King Solomon. The editor of the Bible just took the stables of King Ahab and gave it the title to King Solomon. But um, I had to admit that I made a terrible mistake. I mean, I mean, stupid, because I should never know, say there isn't. Uh, but we found the stables of King Solomon, which is amazing. And that's what you see here. Oh, that's what you could have seen. Yeah. Right. The next... Next one, yes, yeah, right that's there. the one. That's, there that's, you go. That, these are, this, this is the, I forgot the name in English, water trough, right? The water trough. Manger? Yeah. Manger, yes. Mm-hmm. If anybody thinks that manger looks like uh, in the movies, you know, the little wooden hay, no, never mind that. I don't want to break your heart when it comes to Christmas stories, <laughs> but. Uh, <yeah. laughs> All right, keep going. And then we go on up to Carmel. Now, what's really cool is on that first day, we weave our way around the Valley of Megiddo. So you get to see the valley from all these different angles, and all the angles are up high. So Mount Carmel is a, a favorite spot. You can go to the next slide. That's a good teaching there? I have to go back to my notes there. Yes, it's a good one. Um, we can see the whole north of Israel. This is the beginning of the Valley of Armageddon, or Valley of Jezreel. Um, and that's where we talk about Elijah. Elijah, that's right. the Bear prophet, Book of Kings. Um, very powerful. You know, uh, I cannot come today after 3,000 years and say uh, that's where it happened. But one thing, um, you know, uh, Jewish people always built their temple until nowadays they built the synagogue in the highest location of the city. Like the temple in Jerusalem went on top of Mount Moriah. So when you came from the city of David, you came up. In the way of thinking, the Jewish people will never go down to the house of God. We will always go up to the house of God. They adopted it from the Canaanite, like the Baal people that used to worship on the highest hill in the area. And the mountain range that we call it Mount Carmel, in matter of fact, it's the highest tip, the highest tip or top is going to be where the, this area is. That's where most likely the Baal prophet were, and that's most likely the clashes between Elijah and the Baal prophet is going to take place. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Go. Well, I really, uh, this, this is Elijah. Oh, <laughs> Similar. Next place is going to be Nazareth. Yeah, we we I st- we like uh, lately I like to stop in Nazareth, mainly because of one more picture, mainly because of one reason. We don't really go to Nazareth. Nazareth is a big, very dirty, very, uh, very unhappy city. But we do love to go to Mount Precipice, because um, we know from the scripture that when Jesus was. Uh, in the synagogue, like every Shabbat on Saturday, and was reading uh, from a, a portion from Isaiah 61, uh, which, of course, it was right on him. Uh, the people of Nazareth couldn't figure out what is going on. I said, what is going on? I mean, he's the son of the carpenter. I mean, something he, he lost something. And they were sure that he has a little problem. And on those days, there were two ways to solve such a problem, either to stone the people to death or to push him from the cliff down. And he picked up the second option, and they took him to the only cliff, the only cliff around Nazareth, which is this. And that's where we're trying to push him down. And as we know from the scriptures, uh, he turned around, 
and he walked through them with a lot of authority, and he never, ever comes back to Nazareth. He is done with Nazareth. And that's why I'm always amazed that people call him Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus, it's not true. He doesn't want to be called like that. Because later on, it says very clearly in the scripture that he went back to his city, Capernaum, in Matthew 9. But we, the, I don't know, it's a, it's a wrong term from one of the economical conventions, but it's never mind now. But he should be called Jesus from the Galilee, Jesus from Capernaum, because that's the way it says in the scriptures. Let's go. We love to end the day there. What a beautiful view from the thing. Let's keep on going, Sea of Galilee. Uh, we get to the Sea of Galilee in the end of the day, tired. And uh, if sometimes, I like very much to be in one of the areas around the sea, uh, because it's always nice. I mean, it's very, Sea of Galilee is beautiful no matter how you look at it, and it's very relaxing. Plus, big part of the Bible is taking place in the Sea of Galilee, so. This particular tour is really special because we've actually added a day in the Galilee. And there's the lower Galilee where the, where the sea is, and the upper Galilee. And so we're going to stay two nights in the lower Galilee, two nights in the upper Galilee. And that gives us a little more time, a little more breathing room to see the sights. There, there are a couple things I want to do that we did on a tour, but we crammed it in. And if you were on that tour, and I'll, I'll share that in just a second here, but it, it wiped everybody out that day. But now we've got extra time. So we did that intentionally. We, uh, there's an extra day also in Jerusalem. So it's the longest tour that we have ever done. And I'm really excited about that. We're not doing, a lot of times we'll do an extension. We're not doing an extension. We're just staying, Mary, in Israel. <laughs> so, yeah. It'll be, it'll be very good. All right. Capernaum, right there on the Sea of Galilee. Um, Capernaum is a city that, um, super, super city. Um, I, th I think it's the most important city around the sea because uh, this is where Jesus moved after he left uh, Nazareth. He turned it into his base. Uh, he lived there. Most likely he was uh, one of the local rabbis, if not the main rabbi over there. We don't, we don't have much about this in scriptures, but we know that um, Jesus, uh, when we count how many miracles he performed, he performed 33 miracles. Ten of them in Capernaum. So one third of all the miracles are going to take place in one city. Um, we ex when I say we, I mean, I mean now I'm a Franciscan. Okay? The Franciscan dug the city uh, in the beginning of the 20th century and they found everything they wanted and they stopped the excavation. And I'm happy with what they found. Uh, I, I like very much the Franciscan archaeologists because usually they're very accurate. They study in Italy archaeology and they're good. And uh, we're going to go on to the next picture because we can see a little bit from what they found. Yes. That's the synagogue that you were talking about, Pastor. I mean, uh, we, this is, people always say, this is the synagogue from the time of Jesus. No, it's a synagogue from the, uh, most likely, uh, uh, fourth century, um, maybe even later. And uh, it was built on top of another synagogue because in Jewish way of thinking, you can never turn a synagogue into anything. You can take a synagogue and turn it into a, a in and out or McDonald's or whatever. Um, <laughs> You, you can take the synagogue and turn it into another synagogue. So most likely the synagogue was built over there. The only thing which is so amazing is the biggest synagogue in the Galilee. And it was built when there were no Jews in the city of Kafarnachum or Capernaum. And um, most likely it was built as a monument for the rabbi. Because Jesus was never a Christian. He never went to a church. I mean, he was teaching, preaching. And two miracles he performed in the synagogue. And that's why most likely why the synagogue was built as a synagogue to commemorate the rabbi and his uh, Preaching and teaching and healing. Yeah. 
but every time we showed the original synagogue, which is right at the bottom. Another thing that we found, and we dated with no, no even hard time, the house of Peter. Um, uh, for me, it's a very important place because I don't, I don't care about the church that was built above it. I mean, that's nothing. But we were able to identify the flooring from the first century. And, um, we, and we know it, that after Peter died, uh, they started to worship where he lived. And then later on in the fourth century, they built a little church around it and they made the church even bigger. So we can see that. And the reason why I like it very much because I don't have many places in the country. As a matter of fact, in the whole state of Israel, I have about five, six, maybe seven places that I can come and say, this is the place. And this is one of them. I can tell you for sure, this is where Peter healed, I mean, Jesus healed the mother-in-law of Peter. And I, I can point it out, just standing a yard and a half away from there, so very powerful. This is it. You can see it's a modest uh, city built from uh, the local lava stone, basalt stone. Um, nothing fancy at the time of Christ. As a matter of fact, all the houses were only one floor, and they had a little tiny roof. Um, I remember that the Franciscans were very upset when they were, they were thought that Jesus, the city of Christ, the Jesus, city of Jesus should be buildings and monuments. No, it was a little tiny city. I mean, it, for me, it's perfect because when I found out, we found out that all the houses were only one floor. Why is it so important? Because remember the crippled man who couldn't get in close to Jesus and they had to come from the roof? If it's going to be five levels, never. But the fact that it's one, 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 one floor and you get on the roof and you can move the wooden beams and lower the man... Uh, it matches very much, the archaeological finding matches very much the biblical story, and that's what we like. I like that uh, you hear us say Capernaum, that's our English way of saying it, Capernaum, um, village or city of Nahum, um, not the prophet. Could be, could be. But um, it also means in Hebrew, and it's really fun to start to hear these Hebrew words and, and piece together meaning, but uh, Nahum is comfort. So it's village of comfort. And that's where Jesus made his home village, which I think is really appropriate, right? Okay, Mount of Beatitudes. So this is, again, we're down in the lower Galilee, and we're moving around the Sea of Galilee to these, all these different sites uh, where Jesus taught, where he would have been. Um, Jesus uh, did not teach in this church. It's unfortunate. I hate to tell you, but he didn't. Um, but the church is built there because of the lay of the land. Can you speak to that real quick? Um. First of all, uh, the, 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 this is a Catholic church that was built in the wrong place. First ever, the Catholic built a church in the wrong place, not because they were wrong, because they knew it was the right place. The right place is a little bit downhill. Um, there is over there, the, the shape of the, of the ground is like in, what do you call it in English, amphitheater, right? The theater, and it's very common that someone who stands at the bottom can talk and the voice is going to be carried up. Um, but uh, we found the original church most likely from the first century we found it it's right next to the street behind the little uh, barbed wire over there but um, Antonio Barlucci an Italian architect who came from Italy in the 1920s uh, sent by uh, Mussolini he wanted to build something very very powerful something that is going to commemorate the Sermon on the Mount and he went uphill the same hill but uphill until he found a little fat area and said that's where I'm going to build my church a wrong place but it commemorates that band that took place a little, little bit uh, below that. Uh, the church is beautiful. Uh, I, mean, I like churches, but we never go in there. Yeah. Okay, we can keep going. Lunch. St. Peter's fish. Mm. Food. Mm -hmm. we, we feed you uh, at least once, once a day. Uh, let's go on. 
Magdala. I like Magdala very much. It's an active uh, site. It's a site which, while we walk there, they are digging there. They have kids from Mexico that are digging there for the last seven years. Um, did you ever meet Father Kelly? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, you left me with him for like half an hour. Because I told you, don't say yes. There's a guy over there, his name is Father Kelly. And he always asked me, Ronnie, shall I say something? I said, no, we are so late. But you were so nice. I said, yes. And then I lost 40 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> but um, the beauty about Magdala that over there is the only synagogue in the first century. Uh, I, I don't know if Jesus was teaching there, but I assume he was. And, and the place was destroyed by an earthquake, so uh, it stayed as is. Um, we, uh, you know, Magd Magdala is, we co connected usually to Mary. Mary from Magdala, Miriam Hamigdalit. And he was Mary from Magdala, Maria Magdalena. Um, you know, um, and uh, in, in the Jewish way of thinking, Jewish people never had last names, okay? It wasn't uh, uh, Jesus Goldberg. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, Jewish people never had last names. I mean, it was Yeshua ben Yosef, Jesus, the son of Joseph, David ben Ishai, David, the son of Jesse, okay? Shaul ben Kish, Saul, the son of Kish. And um, <clears throat> if someone... <clears throat> I mean, if someone, if there were two people by the same name, Shaul and Shaul, the second Shaul is going to get the title where he was from, Shaul Hatasi, Paul from Tarsia. Uh, there's the Virgin Mary. Now we have Mary from where she was from, from Magdala. And that explains why if there are two names which are at the same time, the second one is going to get the title where he was from. That's why Mary from Magdala I like it very much. Great findings. Uh, we found the synagogue. We even found something. Can you go on with one more picture? <clears throat> yeah. Can you see the little thing in the middle over there? This is where you put the Torah scroll, the Bible scroll. And if you go one picture, f uh, you can see one picture. Oh, and you can see on the Bible scroll, on the little table. Oops, never mind. Okay. And you can see, you can see the, we found a menorah from the first century. One thing is very unusual. The thing is that small, which means I don't see anybody stands and reading from up here, especially when nobody has glasses. So we think now we do believe that when people were reading the Bible, they were on their knees. That's something that we never thought about in Judaism, just because of the finding that we have over here. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, it's always tilted up, so the Bible is going to be tilted up, and you can... You know, the Bible is not a book. You open a scroll and you close it. Yeah. Let's go one more. Yeah, let's go. That's the surrounding. You can see Chorazim. Yeah, go to Chorazim, and I'm going to let the pastor speak. So this is uh, three cities of Jesus. I call them ministry triangle. And it's uh, Capernaum, Chorazim, and Bethsaida. And uh, one of the things that we did on one tour, and Liz, it was on the tour that you were on. I remember that because you were a trooper, but uh, those of you who are on this tour, you know, we did all three of the cities of the ministry triangle of Jesus in one day, um, which was hard to do with a bus, but Jesus would travel, and, and these three were primary, and he talks a lot about all three of them in the scriptures, so we'll, we'll go to each one and each site. What's wonderful about Chorazim, and the first time we went there was our first trip with you, um, and we were literally driving by it. And he said, have you ever been to Chorazim? And I said, no, we've never been. He said, oh, let's go. And so we just swung off the road. Nobody goes to Chorazim. 
Everybody goes to Capernaum. It's, it's a little nicer looking. It's right there on the sea. So I, whatever reasons. But Chorazim, if you look at that, see the color of the stone, it's all basalt. So it's all local stone. That's, you know that's first century. So Capernaum is, we, there is first century, like Peter's house, and you can look down and you can see these things, but the entire city of Chorazim is all first century. So when you go down into Chorazim and around and up into the synagogue, you're in the first century synagogue that we know a rabbi named Yeshua taught in that synagogue. And they found there in that synagogue the, Mo, the, the Moses seat, the Cathedral de Moshe, the Moses seat, where the rabbi would be invited to read and he would sit in that seat. Well, they found that seat. So we know we have a chair that Jesus sat on, which is kind of cool. It's, it's, there's a replica in there now, but the real one, I think we'll see in just a minute here. So anything you want to add on I just like the pictures because of the sky, but let's go on. <laughs> yeah. So now it's my story. So Cheryl and uh, Pastor Rick are coming, and um, we're traveling a little bit. And um, I know he was very excited when I told him that um, for almost 20 years, I was sitting on the original seat that the rabbi who was visiting the city was invited to sit on. And I said, you never believe it. I was sitting on that seat. And he said, where is it? <laughs> said, it's in Jerusalem. It's okay. And the tour keeps on going. And he was sitting. And when I went to closing, we sat on the imitation on the copy, which is a good copy. Looks the same. But when, we, when he came to Israel the next time, so the day before the, the, the tour showed up, we went to Jerusalem. And he says, I have to see that seat. I said, okay, I'll take you to the museum. Now, there's a guard sitting there to make sure that nobody is sitting. Nobody, no, you think the guard worked? You see, you see the rabbi? First of all, he looks at it, unbelievable. He's like, can I sit on it? I said, no, but the guard doesn't look now. So within a split, a split of a second, he was sitting on that seat, <laughs> and that's it. And now you can say you were sitting on that seat. That's right. And after we got thrown out, um, it was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is then months later, or maybe a year later, Ronan contacted me and he said, you know that picture, you have that, did you have the picture or did I have it? You had the picture. He said, you know that picture of you sitting on, on the Moses seat? And I said, yeah. And he goes, can I use that for my lectures? And, and, and I said, oh, fine, fine. So everybody gets to see me relaxing on the Moses seat. He takes this picture everywhere now. And I told the story. I, I went to a, a big convention of Calvary Chapel and asked me if I can uh, talk about latest finding in archaeology, and I said, maybe not the latest, but I had to put it, but I wanted to, to show the picture that someone can sit on it. Yeah, let's go on. Okay. Um, I can't remember what is the next picture, but if I'm not remember, you see on the upper side of uh, this picture, on the upper right, it says El Tel. You see that? El Tel, whatever. Let's go with the next picture. Okay. Very briefly, Bethsaida is one of the three, how do you call it, the three? Ministry, ministry of tribe. Interesting. I'll remember that. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, um, we had a hard time to identify Bethsaida because many people thought Bethsaida is on the water. It's a fisherman village. Can you see, can you see where's, the where's the city? Right under where it says Bethsaida, you can see there's like a little light blue color. The, city is about two, uh, the sea is about two and a half miles from the city. Does make sense. I don't see the people finishing their uh, fishing and carrying the fish and walk for two and a half uh, two and a half miles in the sun. 
And this was a little problem because it looks like Betsaida. We found things that could be Betsaida. Matter of fact, Rami Anav, who was digging there, wasn't even looking for anything but except for this, uh, Herod Philip, this, the brother of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, lived in that city. Even though he turned Caesarea Philippa to his capital, he lived there. And we were looking for his palace and his archive. That's for, from the archaeological point of view. But about uh, four years ago, we found in the slope of the hill a, a fish, a, like, a, like a, a port, and rings to, to tie the boats. And we said, okay, this is interesting. And then we found out one more thing that we never learned from history that we have to read, not just to look in the ground. Because in the 10th century, a Muslim a historian wrote down a very interesting phrase. He said, the lagoon that connected the sea and the city dried up. And now we know there was a lagoon. Now I can say with no doubts, this is, this is going to be Bethsaida. And why is it so important? Just because of one reason. Because for many years, we showed, the, we showed a site far away in Tapra, a church. But in Luke 9, I think verse 10, I'm not sure, sure I forgot about it already, but most, most like in 9 10, uh, 9 10, it says that Jesus took the disciple and he went to Bethsaida. And then, after teaching and preaching, he said, hey, the people... The people are here, and, and the disciples said, why don't you send them away? It's, he said, no, let's feed them. And uh, they said, we cannot feed them. I mean, come on. We have very few fish and very few loaves of bread. And the feeding of the 5,000 is going to take place in Bethsaida. Now, when I identified Bethsaida, I can say with no doubt, this is where the feeding is going to take place. Where exactly? I don't know. Not in the city. Most likely in the slope of the city. But you can see the city is built on a hill. On one of the slopes is going to take the feeding. Very important. Very important because that's what I'm looking in archaeology. To find things to connect to the scriptures. That's right. So Hebrew scholars. What is the word bet in Hebrew? House. Saida is fish. So bet Saida is the house of fish. Which is fascinating because the feeding of the 5,000 took place there. Which was the bread and the fish. And it's the, but again the the village of or the or the the house of fish, it's a fishing village, and so yeah that that lagoon made everything make sense. So is it makes so sense. Now, and, and if you're going to go on with the pictures, we even found one of the buildings, one of the houses that we found was a house that used to sell fishing equipment. We found a lot of um, sinkers, you know, that pulls the net down. A lot of I forgot how you call it the hooks, the little tiny hooks. So let's go. Yeah, that's another thing that we have over there. Let's keep on going, because otherwise I'll leave in the morning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one more. That's, these are the, um, this is the House of Fishermen. I just want you to know, it's so hard to dig in an area which is old lava rocks, because you can't tell what is a part of the building and what is just a simple rock. But uh, that's the one. This is the fisherman uh, house that I uh, spoke about. That's where we found all the equipment for the fishermen, which gives me a very good uh, knowledge that, yes, there were many fishermen around there, just because of that. We can go on. This is this is the John River. You know, I'm I'm here in Seattle. I can't really impress you with a little tiny spring that runs around. Um, not the size is really important here, but the meaning of the river. That's when you cross into the Promised Land, and that's of course the baptismal. Yeah. Let's go on. We can keep going. Yeah. Sunset. 
Let's go. One more. Yeah, till then. This is, um, I like the place. You too. We both like it. Um, let's go on. I mean. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to have to probably run through a few of the okay. slides if you want to find out. I'll, I'll run out. This, this is the little path that we walk. I mean, it's a beautiful walk. Even people from Seattle love, uh, from, from Washington State love the walk in, the, in there because it's beautiful. And eventually, eventually we're going to get to a, a place which is very biblical. So let's go one more picture. And that's the place. This is Tel Dan, and this is where the, the city of the tribe of Dan. And we will talk, we get all into that, but Dan originally was allotted land down in the south, and they didn't want it. In fact, it was a, a pretty nice location, if I, if I recall, it, like near Tel Aviv, near the coast. That's right, they were really south of Tel Aviv. Yeah, and, and, and sandwiched between other tribes, so a very safe, secure location, in the, really in the heart of the, of the promised land, where well, the heart would be Jerusalem, but, but in a very secure location in the land, and they didn't want it. So they ended up, the story we, we read in the book of Judges, but they ended up making their way all the way up to the far north, wiping out a people called Laish, Laish wiping them out and, and establishing themselves there, which is why this is now called Tel Dan, and, we, and the entire city of Dan is there, and we, we do a walkthrough of that city, and fascinating, fascinating. So, as a matter of fact, what we see over here, we can see uh, we found the temple that was built after the kingdom was divided. And Jeroboam, who was a little concerned that his people are going to leave him three times a year on pilgrimage and go back to Jerusalem, and they might regret the fact that they're separate from Judea. So he was trying to prevent them from going to Jerusalem by building two fake temples, one in Beth El, Beth El, House of God, and the second here. We found exactly the way the Bible describes it. That's how we found it, and that's beautiful. Uh, the only thing that we built, we built the altar just to show you the size. Usually we sit under the tree and then keep on going. And then, uh, then we keep on going around. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get to uh, an area which if you can go one more picture, you can see. No, go back. Uh, this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this is the throne. This is where the, we found out that um, where the king was sitting. You know, in Jewish way of thinking, the king always sits at the entrance to the city. Remember when David found out that uh, his son Absalom uh, died, the Bible tells us he was walking in the Kidron Valley, walking, weeping, and he went to his seat at the entrance of the city. So over here we found that seat. Um, I like it very much, but I'll tell the story. I keep on going with the picture, so I don't have to tell everything. Otherwise, I'll have nothing to say when you come. Uh, um, this, is a, this is one of the most important findings. You see, this is a man standing at the entrance to a city. This is the gate. Um, the gate is about 3,800 years ago. Um, it's a great finding because cities on 3,800 years ago, there were about 400, maybe 300 people in the city. And the city was on a hill, remember, tell? And there was one gate because it's easier to protect and to guard one gate. You can put, put six because otherwise the whole city is going to guard gates. And uh, uh, we like it very much because in Genesis 14, I think, um, Abram found out that his, son, his nephew Lot was captured in a battle between some kings in the area and they brought him here to uh, the city of Laish or Dan. And the Bible tells us that Abram is going to make an army of 318 people, which means it's an army of the amount of the people that live there. And he comes all the way to the city, enters through the only gate that used to be there, and releases Lot and he leaves the city. 
And many, many times when I talk from the ecological point, people come to me and said, Ronnie, come on, be realistic. All the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Shpach, does make sense? There's no evidence, and I say no evidence. Abraham gate. We found the gate from 3,800 years ago. The only gate that Abraham could have walked through. And for me, it's a great finding, because it, it is. Let's go. Caesarea Philippi. So we, we already went to Caesarea, right? That was Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the, you know, the marine on the, or on the sea, and then Caesarea Philippi. So this is up in the north, the far north. This is where uh, Peter made his confession. And it's, it's a fascinating, it was a great place to talk through, study through Matthew 16. We do it every time, and even if you've done it multiple times, it's, it's one of my favorite places to, to teach because you get such a sense. Jesus was an absolute master teacher, and not just because of the way he wove the parables and the way he taught, but how he used everything around him. And so when you get up in Caesarea Philippi and he begins to talk about and say, uh, Peter, you're a pebble. You know, you're, you're, you're Petros. But on this Petra, I will build my church. And you look up, and there's a massive rock there. And you, you just get a sense of him using the environment to teach and to express and to give people a sense of, of what he was saying. So that, that's at Caesarea Philippi. And it's absolutely beautiful. This whole day up in the north, actually, we'll be there a couple of days. But the, the day that we do all the touring up in the north, um, so much of it is like being home here, actually. Very, very green, lots of water, absolutely beautiful. Um, it's one of my favorite spots. Yes, and, and it's, it's for us, it's a great way to explain because, you know, uh, this is about a three days' walk from Capernaum. And people always ask, I mean, I can say, okay, why did Jesus didn't take the disciples out of the city a little bit and say, Psst, I want to ask you some question. He dragged them for three and a half days' walk all the way up to the upper part of the Galilee, just to ask them the question. And the reason why he went there, because this was a very pagan city that was called Panias, dedicated to the god Pan. And there were seven temples, one for Zeus, one for Pan, one for the goats, one for the naked goats. I mean, and he takes them to the center of paganism to show them who is the real god. And, but that's why it's so powerful. And besides, it's a great teaching. I know, I know, I know, and I like, I like the place. So we can go on. Yeah, we may need to, uh, do you know what slide are we on? Can you see the number up there? 58. Okay, another 200. <laughs> go ahead. So what we need to do, yeah, um, we're going to kind of go, a sli we're going to try and do this yep. as quick as we can, but just take you through. Yep, um, go ahead. So Let's go. We can skip it. We don't go there. Yeah. We'll we always, this. yeah, this is obviously the boat ride. Very powerful. No, no, I really like it. Sometimes we do it at sunset. This is something that I really like. Um, this is a, a, a wooden board that was covered by, by dirt, by mud. Um, and it was found by mistake because a, a young kibbutz member was walking on the shore and he, he, he was stepping on a nail. And we found that wooden board that was covered, uh, covered by water for 2,000 years. We couldn't lift it because the second you put your hand, you tried to bring it up, the hand went through the, through the wood. So they were able to cover it with foam and take it out. And, uh, and it took the, almost about eight years to dry it up. Because you can put it out in the sun and dry it up because it's going to disintegrate into dust. And, after, and then we decided that we're going to see and we can, if we can date the wood. Uh, today we use very high level of uh, dating system. We use radioactive. 
And we, if I use regular system, it's going to be plus minus 60 to 80 years. If I use radioactive, it's plus minus two years. To, we dated the boat with the year 33 to 35 AD. This is the time they decided, but this is a fisherman boat, which meant to be a, in a very shallow water where you cast a net and the sink and put it down. And, and this, this could be one similar boat to where the disciples were. This is a similar boat to where Jesus was sleeping and come down and Peter left the boat and walked on the water. Something like that. We call it Jesus boat. I don't like the name. I don't know why I put it there. I don't like the name. We call it now the ancient boat from the Sea of Galilee. I don't think Jesus had a boat registered under his name, but, 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 <clears throat> but it, could be, it could be a similar boat. Yeah. Let's go. Betjan. I like Betjan very much. You see the tail on behind the hill? City, a complete Roman city that was built for the non-Jews. Um, I, can, I can take you here for 45 minutes. And, uh, and uh, within 45 minutes, I'm going to show you what you need three days in Rome. Um, I like the place very much. My professor in university was digging there for years. He still does. I mean, he's in, in his 80s. He still comes walking with scratches in the dig. And he, he humiliates every time when I get there. Every time when I get there, he says, he tells my group, oh, no, poor, poor people, you have Ronnie. Oh, what a disaster guy, never mind. Uh, but uh, you can see the city was destroyed in an earthquake. You know, I have to tell you something, what do we like in archaeology. It doesn't sound good, but we do. We love disasters. We love it. You know, Pompeii, what a great disaster. I mean, the whole thing was, you know, lava and so on. Betjan, a perfect disaster, earthquake. Huge earthquake, 7.9 on Richter scale. The city was shaking, a rock, and whatever, pff, collapsed. Uh, many people were captured under the destroyed city. And the disease started to spread, and they had to desert the city. What a great thing. I mean, we come after 1,400 years. All you have to take the color and put them on top of each other, and voila, we have the city. Uh, great city. Great to walk through. We do it usually on the way to Jerusalem. All right, go on to the next one. Uh, okay, Gideon Spring, we go on, get, let's go on, let's go on. Uh, okay, no, it may be not. Go, go back, back one on go that. Go back. I don't want to go. No, no, not this, not that much. Yeah. There. Yeah, so we, when we first went to Israel, there, there are two uh, baptismal sites, more traditional. And the one that we went to was up in the north. Uh, and Chuck Smith, actually, with Calvary Chapel, established it. And it's beautiful. I, kinda, I call it the Disneyland of, of baptisms. Because, you know, everything is it's very well appointed. You've got rails going down into the water, and, but, but it's, not where, it's not where John the Baptist baptized. It's not where Jesus and his disciples went and took over the baptizing. It's not where Jesus himself was baptized. This is much closer. And it's one of those things, I, you know, like I'd love to say, it was right here. This is the same water. Well, it's probably not. But, but within, you know, a, a, a mile or two, we're in the region. We're in the area. I, w I want to go one second. Dispute. No. You know, uh, the um, I had a pastor here in Bellingham. Is it close by Bellingham somewhere? Yeah. She, she used to put me in the water and say, let's go and uh, immerse. I said, me? I said, you're the son of the covenant. I said, I don't know. Uh, whose son is it? I'm not going in February into the water. <laughs> But she made me go, and she was standing over there, and everybody has about five, ten minutes confession why he wants to be in the water, and I froze. But I proved to her that you cannot uh, really immerse the people in the water of the Jordan because the Jordan goes very fast, 
and it's very, it, it doesn't look like, it looks nothing, but it's about six feet, which more or less my height. Um, if you stand in the water, there's no way you can really uh, immerse someone because the water is going to push you. There's no way that Johnny Baptist is going to stand by Yardenid. Now it's closed, of course, but because the water is going to push him. There's only one place in the whole path of the Jordan that suddenly the Jordan makes like a, like a U, gets wider and shallower. That's the place. And that's why the children of Israel were able to cross there. And that's why John the Baptist was able to stand there. Hmm? Good. Yep. yep, absolutely. And so that's where we baptize now. Yeah. Poor people. Day seven. <laughs> Sunrise in Jerusalem. So then we get Love make it. our way down to Jerusalem. I was just telling uh, Eva and our, and our staff actually today, what I love about this tour is you go. We, we always go up to the Galilee first. Galilee is very peaceful. It's very country. It's very, it's comfort. You know, it's very relaxing. And then you get in the bus and you start heading down. And we stop at Bet Shaan, but then we make our way down to Jerusalem. And and the way I think of it every time is I start hearing the drum beat, just because it, it starts to feel more intense. More, I mean, Jerusalem. This is the place of all the religions fighting over everything, you know, and. But more than that, it, this is the place, the crucifixion. This is the place that so much happens. City of David is there, you know. And so as we come down to it, there's that sense that just excitement. You know, we're going to Jerusalem. And we go up, actually. We don't go down. We, we go south, but then we go up to Jerusalem, always up to Jerusalem. First thing in the morning, we see uh, the view from Mount of Olives and breathtaking. I mean, this is a wow. Um, it's, it, it's nice because you can stay in one place and you can point out all the sites that we are going to see in the next two or three days. And then we start walking, we can go on, uh, along what you call the Palm Sunday Way toward the city. From far away, we can see the double gate which is blocked. This is the gate beautiful or the golden gate or the eastern gate or the judgment gate or your Shafat gate. Or pick a name, it's going to be a good name. This is the gate that Jesus entered the city in the triumph entrance when he when he came to the city. The gate is blocked now with concrete uh, to prevent his return. <laughs> this is really going to stop him, right? But anyway, so, but it's blocked. And, and uh, we, we, I like, did, we, did I ever take you from around right next to it? On the inside? To go right under Oh, it. yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah last we, time yeah, we did, yeah. we came right in there. Okay. Let's go. So this is it. We keep on going in the, along the Palm Sunday way. We can see the Russian church. It looks like a little Kremlin with the... Uh, every time, depends what, of, what time of the day I talk about it. If I'm hungry, I call it onion rings. If I'm not hungry, I just call it onion dome. And uh, we walk down the Palm Sunday way and we get down eventually to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, in my eyes, one of the most powerful. Keep on going, please. Uh, if someone had a hard time, hard time walking, you know, there's a transportation. But we can... Um, <laughs> Um, we can keep on. We're getting to the garden. That uh, part of the garden is is taken by the church, and inside the church, there's going to be uh, the same rock that, according to the Catholic uh, faith, that's where Jesus was sitting and praying and say, "Father, remove the cup." Um, but uh, uh, I want to say maybe a word about those trees because that's maybe very powerful. These are olive trees. Olive trees. Um, you know, for many, many years, I used to come and say, you see the trees? Very old, very old, and I was very happy about myself. I mean, it sounds, sounds very... But the only reason why, the only thing, the only problem with the trees is that you cannot date them. You know how you date trees, right? You count the rings. Other trees, <clears throat> they live about 100 years, 120 years, and then they die. 
and they're going to be dead for about 40, 50 years. And then suddenly, out of a very dead tree, a new shoot is coming out. The tree was dead for 40 years. And a shoot is coming out, and within weeks, it's covered with branches and leaves, which means the tree came back to life. And it's going to, and it's going to live another 80 years, and it's going to die again for 20, 30. While he's dead, the worms and the ants, they're eating the, the trunk from inside. What you see is only the crust around the tree. The tree is hollow. Can you see? The tree is hollow. And um, because the tree comes back to life all the time, we call it the tree of resurrection because it's, it's coming back to life. But because there are no rings, because the inside is eaten, I cannot tell how old are the trees. <coughs> Excuse me, about um, maybe 15 years ago, I can't even remember, maybe less, there came a bunch of uh, specialists, you know, uh, from Oxford University, and they took some samples from about 20 trees around, and six months later, they published an, an article that they, they say that six trees in the garden are over 2,000 years old. And if they're over 2,000 years old, it means they were there on that very same night. And that's what makes it so unique. By the way, I use one of your pictures is here, just so you know. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> well done, yeah. Bethesda, so the pools of Bethesda, this is where Jesus healed the lame man. And again, each one of these places, we, we recognize that, but then whenever we can, we stop and we open up our Bibles and we, we talk about what happened. And it, it just, your, your Bible becomes a 3D, a 3D picture book. Every page, you open it up. And, and it sticks with you. I've said this over and over, and those of you who have been, you know this. It sticks with you so that a year later, you open up John chapter 5, and there you are at the pools of Bethesda. John 5, right? I think. Um, you're there. And you, and you see it, and you remember it. And it's, it's remarkable that how that happens, because usually by this point in the tour, most people are saying, I'm not going to remember anything that I've seen. You know, but it does. It sticks. I like it because, um, because there are only two sites in Jerusalem that Jesus performed only two miracles in Jerusalem, and this is one of them. So Via Dolorosa, we just, sometimes we walk there just so we can say we've been at the Via Dolorosa. And then it takes us eventually to the Holy Sepulchre. We can see it sometimes, the Roman Catholic, you know, walk around. Some pastors like to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Some don't. I like to go there maybe to show how beautiful is the garden, you know, to compare it to how powerful is the garden. But it's here. And uh, if you go on with the picture, we'll keep on going. You can see uh, the one who's in it because there's a ladder that stands over there for the last uh, 150 years. Nobody's allowed to move it. And the last picture... <coughs> Yes, go ahead. And we're going to go on, and we're going to start our day. Uh, one day from Jerusalem, we uh, head the east to the lowest place in the world. We go to the Dead Sea. It's a, it's a almost non-biblical day. It's a non-biblical day, but it's a very interesting day because, A, um, I didn't see many deserts around here. And, B, this is the lowest place in the world. And, C, this is the, this is the salt. By the way, this, we'll go one picture back. This is not ice or snow. This is salt. This is a salty sea, saltier than the salt lake and the saltiest sea in the world. And it's amazing to sit there and float. And if you go to the next place, people are not sitting on chair. I mean, the salt is really pushing them up. Great for the body. And many times I see them, they're coming back to me covered like that. I don't recognize them. But uh, and I always tell people, you're going, to look, you're, going to, you're going to come 10 years younger after smearing the soap, and they all come 10 years 
younger. Anyway, so Masada is a site that is a must for me as an Israeli uh, to show, maybe to, to show why we are so stubborn as a nation and why we are a little different and why we have all those paranoia effect, but uh, a very powerful place. I like Masada because uh, I'm connected to Masada. When I was in the army, they took me up there to swear the loyalty to the army, so that's Masada. Let's walk one more. That's Masada. The first ever synagogue in the world. Let's go. Um, no, that's not. <laughs> go, back, go back one. Because at Masada, you can, you can take the trolley up, which we, the, most of the group does. Sometimes, uh, Dustin, where are you? I saw you a minute ago. There you are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dustin ran. There are switchbacks and, and steps, and you, can, and you can do it. You can walk it 45 minutes or so, 45 to an hour maybe, uh, depending on your pace. Dustin ran, ran it, and he was up there and arrived as we were getting off the trolley. He just hoofed it up there. But I wanted to show this because that's Cheryl as she is making her way up the side of Masada. Just really proud of her that day. Next slide. I had a group uh, of, um, from uh, um, Orange County in, in Los Angeles. They asked me about a year ago, or maybe two, if I'm willing to work with them at 4.30 in the morning, climb up to see the sunrise. And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, how come? I said, I want to sleep. Eventually, they convinced me. So I'm walking with those uh, teenagers, 20 years old kids, you know, up to Masada at 4 o'clock in the morning. And right in the middle, right in the middle of the walk, I found out something very important. I found out I'm not 20 years old anymore. <laughs> and I remember that I stopped and asked me, why did you stop? And I said, look at the view. And I, you know, and they all drew the cameras. Never mind. But, stupid story. Anyway, so this is a, this is amazing place. This is, with no doubt, one of the most amazing places in Israel. According to Travelers Magazine, this is a site, one of the 100 sites you must see before you die. It's En Gedi, connected very much to the biblical story of Saul and David. Um, great. I, I like to walk there, especially in the morning, because we can see the Ibexes. Uh, we can see all the Hyraxes, uh, the little tiny uh, animals around here. Really beautiful. Um, those little tiny pools, if I have a youth tour, uh, we go and swim there, because when it's getting warmer, really a, a, super, uh, a super place to go. And getting. This reminds me too that on the tour we, we, we try to um, we accommodate the best that we can. But in Getty's a good example of we will go in and there's a beautiful waterfall and, and place where that tour guide caused you trouble that day. Um, but where we'll do Bible teaching, so you just a short walk in, we do the Bible teaching there, and then everyone who wants to can hike up to the top of the falls. And so we'll do that. But then you have the option, and if you're, you know, if you're not 20 years old anymore and you don't want to hike up to the top, you don't have to. You can stay right there. You can still see it. It's beautiful. Yes. Let's go. The next, uh, next day is going to be in Yad Vashem. That's the Holocaust Center. Very powerful. Um, I leave it to the pastor and to the group to decide if they want to go to the Holocaust Center. Um, me, as an Israeli who was born and raised in Israel, I know I have no right for the, fut for the future if I don't remember the past. And uh, because years go by, and I want to make sure that we do remember, so I like to go there just to share my own feelings sometimes. Uh, but this is very much uh, my own personal place. The next place is going to be, oh, the Dome of the Rock. Um, do we go there? I take the, every group there, mainly because I want to say whatever I want to say. 
not once and not twice, uh, young people from the Muslim uh, authority, they stand next to me to hear what I'm saying. And when I say the word temple, they get really upset. And they say, why don't you tell them the truth? Why don't you tell them that you're lying? There was never a temple. And I don't argue with them. I, I ask them, do you know what's the name of the place in Arabic? And they said, no. I said, in Arabic, that Jabal Muqaddis, the hill of the temple. So what do you want me to say? But um, uh, I'd like to go there just to show the people one thing which is superpower. I'm not talking about Jesus coming to the temple. I'm not Jesus talking about, I can prove today with no doubts that the beautiful building that you see over there is in the wrong place. Yes, we walk and, and I, I can show the people the floor of the Holy of Holies. And that's super duper. That's the place. That's the little dome over the original floor. Now they won't let you stand inside anymore. Now, from one hand, they don't recognize the temple. They said there was never a temple. On the other hand, they won't let you stay where it was the Holy of Holies. They say it's a holy place for us, but they call it the dome of the spirit. Whose spirit? Mine? Okay. Very funny. The other, other name for that, correct me on this, but isn't it? It's this dome of the spirit. But I've also heard it called the Dome of the Tablets, Could which, be. which would be know. fascinating if, it, if that's the location, you know, Holy of Holies, Dome of the Tablets, Tablets were in the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, interesting, yes. Peter Galicanto, House of the High Priest Caiaphas, that's very powerful. You know, that's one thing that you go and you don't, ex you don't know what to expect. Uh, besides the steps, which are 2,000 years old, and they call it the, the Holy Steps, Terascala, this is the step that Jesus must have used when he came from the upper room down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we have a chance to go into that little tiny cistern that was carved into the bedrock. And because Herod brings a lot of water to Jerusalem, they stopped using it as a cistern and turned to be a storage room. You can see the steps that led into that room. We do believe, almost with no doubts, um, I can prove it from the archaeological point of view, but I won't do it now, but I can prove today from the archaeological point of view that this is the house of the high priest Caiaphas, and this could be the place where Jesus spent the night. Go back. Go back, just one. There you go. That's the place. This is the place where Jesus spent the night before he was handed to Pontius Pilate. And now you can think, and I can't, I, I can't really explain how powerful it is. But you're standing right down there in a very small room. could be very dark. And you feel that you are, you're, you're, you're taken. I mean, you're, you're there. Mm -hmm. And this is the place you, you all may recently remember. Uh, well, it's actually two summers ago now, pre-COVID. But we went through the, what we call the Savior Psalms, Psalms that spoke prophetically of Jesus. Psalm 88, often called the Psalm of the Pit, written by, I think it's Psalm 88. Someone check me on that. Is that right? Um, written by Haman of the sons of Korah, and he wrote it historically looking back at Joseph when his brothers threw him in the pit. But as we read through, you can see it's a remarkable, I think, prophecy looking ahead to when Jesus was in the pit. Next slide. Upper room? Upper room. Okay. Upper room. Yes, I like it. I, I can't tell it's the upper room. I mean, I... I we call it upper room. It could be any other room in the area. It's on Mount Zion. It's on the second floor. And people come to me and say, come on, Ronnie, be serious. 
This doesn't look from the time of Christ, and it's not. Um, the place was purchased by the Franciscan from the Muslim. They purchased it around 1300. It was, they said, for us as Christians, the baptism and the crucifixion in that room are very powerful. Can we have it? And they paid tons of money to buy it from the Muslim. They rebuilt it, redecorated, and put those beautiful columns, beautiful arches. And as soon as they were done, the Muslim said, wow, we like it even better. So they killed all the Muslims and turned it into a mosque. And it was a mosque until 1967 when we, uh, we gave it back to the Christian world. The mosque is above, and there's a little tomb of David under, traditional only. Um, I like to go there just because of commemorating the event. I cannot come and say this. The place could be any place. That's why I call it a upper room. But um, it's interesting enough, uh, most, of the, most of the groups in Christianity are going to accept it as the upper room. And it's, it's you know, sometimes just the fact that you go to the upper room, it's, it's important. So he calls it a upper room. If you're flying Air Canada, you call it an upper room A. That's the last Canada joke. Sorry. Yes, that's the yeah. But uh, you didn't. Did you see what it says on the bottom of the picture over there? Go the one back, one? one backward. See, there's a little arrow down purple <laughs> arrow. <laughs> if you can't read it, down there at the very bottom left side, painted by R. Winter. Never mind. I had to put yeah. it. I, I I love this because I love how the whole. The whole uh, Da Vinci Code and all of that, and everybody arguing, you know. Uh, but this was not a painting of the Last Supper. This was a painting by Da Vinci. So why are we even talking about it? Anyway, crazy. <laughs> Great place. Machni the market. Sometimes uh, people ask me, what can we do with something usual, unusual? So I tell them, why don't they go to the market? Or sometimes I go with them. Uh, I have uh, something new. Uh, sometimes I say, let's skip dinner. And I did it. I don't think we did it with you. I got them like a little uh, card with 10, 10 times they can pinch it. And they can go to 10 different places and try the local food. And that's instead of dinner. And people like it. It's like going to Costco on Sunday, you know, got all those tasting <laughs> things. Yeah. It's great. Israeli Costco. Yeah. Yeah. Western so this Wall. is Western Wall. I don't think uh, there's a more important place for... Uh, uh, the Jews in the world, the Western Wall, according to the Jewish way of thinking, this is the only wall that was left from the temple. It's a great statement, completely wrong. <laughs> a, it's not the wall of the temple. B, it's not the only wall that was left. And we have all walls, and uh, it was a returning wall that was around the temple to hold the plateau flat so no, nothing is going to shift to the side. Uh, very powerful. I always tell the people, go to the wall. It's not the Jewish wall. You know, as it says in Isaiah, my house is house of all nations. So I encourage people to go and touch the wall and feel the wall and sense the wall. And uh, you can see people go and put a little tiny petition, you know, and, and ask from God things. In a way, you cannot say, hey, hey, listen, God, on Monday there's a lottery draw. How about? No, that doesn't work. But the Jewish people can say, thank you, God, for making me win the lottery soon, which means this is okay. Uh, but uh, but you can see people go and talk to the wall, and, and if you go to the next picture, that's what I mean. Yeah. Can you read it? Hey, God, it's Moshe. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> He's holding his cell phone. And what's nice now with, with the modern technology is you don't have to just put a little piece of paper in the wall. You can just send God a text. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's meaning you. That's the Western Wall at nighttime. <clears throat> the Southern Wall is... is a place which I love, if you could go one more picture, is um, this is this, the one more event. 
These are the original steps that led to the temple. Uh, the only place that you can go up to the house of God is going to be from the, uh, from the south, and that's why people used to come from the south. Uh, the, go more, one more, one more, okay, okay one more. And uh, you can see there are three gates which are blocked now that used to be the entrance to the temple. People used to enter from the right and come out from the left. And this is going to be, this is going to be a place which I love to end the day, mainly, mainly because of one reason, because for years we were trying to figure out where Jesus, Jesus spent the time when he was in Jerusalem. He was teaching and preaching every day. And today the whole theological world came to a conclusion on the southern steps. Just because of one reason, because a rabbi, like a, like a pastor, like a trigger, we need audience. I, I never saw a, a pastor standing in front of one person. And, <laughs> that doesn't work. I mean, you, need you haven't audience. been to my house. Yes, but but uh, but uh, uh, Jesus would never stand in the edge of the city, and someone is going to walk by. Says, no. You need the audience, and what Jesus is going to do, he will never disturb people that walked up to the city to the temple. He was waiting for them to come down when he came out. And then you see a bunch of uh, people stand around the rabbi. The rabbi always sits. The students always stand, and the disciples are around. And that's when people say, what is going on? And they're going to people always do it. The sense of curiosity is going to take them to listen to the rabbi. So we believe Jesus was sitting over there on those stones. You know, Jesus didn't write anything. I mean, we don't have the, 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 the gospel according to Christ. I mean, everything was written by his, his disciples and followers. But once, only once, Jesus was sitting and writing something in the sand right over there. So that's why I love it. Um, I, I want to say this real quick about the southern steps. Um, be careful when you do your archaeology via YouTube because you can get all kinds of stuff. And one of the big things that was uh, going around for a while, and it's, it's still on YouTube, so I hear this from time to time, but people say, the temple can't possibly be there. It was down in the city of David. And so I came to Roni, the first time I heard this, and it was, I think, our second tour, and I said, what do you think? And he said, I'll show you. And we went to the southern steps, and, and the southern, uh, the, this whole area at the southern steps, the archaeology there is profound. And the things that they've discovered, uh, the place for holding the trumpet, we'll, we'll see that. It, you can't, once you stand there and you see it, and then you hear the explanation and, and look at it, it's like, yeah. And, and as Roni said, one of the most powerful things is that Jews would not have gone down to the temple. They would go up to the temple, and this is the high spot on Mount Moriah. This is where they would have gone. So, I'll go quickly through the city of David just because I like it very much. Um, you know, we go to the city of David because they have excavation, and we can see uh, that we, 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 we believe we found the palace of David. We can keep on going. Uh, matter of fact, we even found homes from the time of uh, the city, from the time when the city was captured by Babylon. This is a house that we found over there, the house, the toilet. Um, you know, um, you know, archaeologists always have a little prayer when they find toilets. Maybe we're going to find something. So over here, the prayers were answered because they found out that about 25 years ago, someone in a very cold night went out. You know, when you have to go, you have to go. And I don't want to make it too rich, but whatever came out rolled in, this, in, the, in the dust and froze. I wanted to know, we found that little tiny frozen feces after 2,500 years. You should have seen the excitement of the archaeologist. I mean, they were almost getting, like, like in Colombo, you know, taking the, the twists and the... Anyway, <clears throat> that's what you... That is, but uh, we, we were able to tell from that what were people eating during the siege of Babylon. And that's what is amazing. Let's go.
These are the toilets, by the way, if you wonder. We walk in the tunnel that was built by the people of Jerusalem to get to the water. And David, when he conquered the city, is going to this tunnel to come into the city. It's amazing. And eventually, this tunnel is going to take us eventually to the Pool of Salom. And if we go one more picture, this is the Pool of Salom. Oh, Shiloh. Shiloh. Pool of Salom, and that's, uh, that's amazing. That's the main pool that uh, most likely the people used to get uh, purified and before they went to the temple, like a ritual bath, like a mikveh. Huge, 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 built by Herod. And uh, one thing that I can tell you that more and more, and the more we read the Bible, we find more things that we never paid attention, like remember with John the Baptist that was uh, baptizing. If you open the Gospel of uh, John chapter 3, it says over there, John the Baptist also baptized people in the pool of Shalom. And that's amazing. One more. I'm going to run quickly. Israel Museum with the shine with the book. We like to go there because we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Let's keep on going. Mm-hmm. And uh, for us, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the center over there is going to be the scroll of Isaiah. If you're going to move it to one more picture, we're going to see the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, at the time of Jesus, there were no chapter and verses, but we can identify. The reason why I put the picture over here, this is Isaiah 61. This, we know exactly what words Jesus used when he was reading from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth. On that very same Saturday, the people chased him out later on. Let's keep on going. Um, we in the, Over there, we have the scale mall of Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's not, people are very nice to me on the tour. I talk about something in the old no, then say yes. I know they have no idea what I'm talking about. But when I get to the scale model of Jerusalem, everything makes sense. And then they connect what they've seen in the city and the way it looked 2,000 years ago. And for me, those 25, 30 minutes that I walk around the model and can see how big is the temple. One sixth of the city is the temple. Now people see where's the Via Dolores, Rosa, where's the Pool of Siloam, where that, and everything is like a puzzle. And I want to tell you, when people leave Israel after a week or 10 days, they know Israel better than Israelis. That's how much information is going to be poured on you by... Okay, city, uh, okay, over here you can see, uh, I put a Jewish quarter, there's a corridor, there's a Roman main street. Just just wanted to show you how in Jerusalem you have a street from 2,000 years ago, and right next to it there's going to be a street from nowadays. Let's keep on going. And we even found the wall that was built... First by Nehemiah and then rebuilt by King Hezekiah before the, uh, when he was afraid from Assyria. Nice to see because that's, the Bible in Nehemiah 3 talks about it so clearly. Let's go. And of course, uh, this is it. This is uh, the place which I'm going to be quiet. Golgotha. And this is, uh, there, they have a picture there actually from, do you know what the date is of the picture? Like 18... It, it's, yeah, it, it's an old one, and looks almost the same. This is um, place of the skull, and what's interesting about we'll talk more about this. And I, I think I've taught on this a few times, but you see this, and right around the hill is a garden. Well, that's what John said. So right around the hill from where he was crucified was a garden. They had to get him off the cross into a tomb quickly because it was Shabbat, and they had to get him. You know, they didn't want to violate the Sabbath. And so that's what's amazing about this, this site. And there, there are many other things. We know this was a garden. They found a wine press there. And um, so you see. And, and you can see the, the picture before the, the picture.
especially before it was a burial tomb. You know, usually, uh, usually people prepare their burial while they were still alive. So it's not that you wait for, and then you start to dig quickly. And this is a, this is a burial tomb from the first century. So it matches very nicely. Even though they argue first, second, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think it's the first. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we, we end the tour. And uh, yeah, that door is great. So next year in Jerusalem, uh, that's our plan. So anything else to add? No, I hope it brought back some memories. I mean, uh, you know, when you travel a country, you, you see and you see and you see. And then, uh, but um, I can tell you one thing um, from my experience. I don't know how many people have been there once and want to come again. From what I know, the first time is breathtaking. You love every second. You love the. You, you, you don't want to do. You want to take a picture, listen to the guide, uh, write notes from the pastor, uh, look at the view. I mean, everything is such. It's and after five days, I said, "That's it. I'm done. I can't take any more. I'm blocked." The second time is amazing. No pictures needed. You don't have to take notes. Suddenly, you have time to take everything in. You. The second time is. Sometimes even more powerful than, this, than the first time because now you understand where you are. You have the, all the time to observe, and that's the beauty. Yeah. So, and, you. you know, obviously we, we're, we're not trying to sell you anything on the tour. This tour uh, sells itself, really. Um, the reason why this became so important to me and to Cheryl, when we went, I went on a, we went on a pastor fam tour, and we went just so that we could get a sense of the land. We had no plan, no intention of making this an ongoing thing, but I thought, if I'm teaching about this, I'd really like to see it and have some sense of it, and so we went on that tour and came back saying, we, we have to go back, and people have to see this, and so many of you have, and you know why I feel so strongly about, about Israel, about the entire country. They call the Galilee the fifth gospel. Because we have the four, but then the fifth is seeing it with your own eyes. And to travel the land and see it and get a sense of its people and its history. Um, Cheryl and I lived on the East Coast for three years, and we were fascinated at, at how old things were. 200, 300 years old. I mean, really, really old stuff. And then you see the, the Gate of Abraham, 3,800 years old. And you see the, the, um, the stables of Solomon you know, 3,000 years old, and it's just amazing. So that's something else we do on the tour. Um, everywhere we go, we, and, and I've learned to do this, actually. I didn't do this early on the first couple of tours, but we make, we, we're intentional to tell you exactly when we are. So we go, this is where we are, this is when we are, and I think it helps people piece it together a lot better. Okay, so now we're 3,000 years ago. Oh, now this is first century, 2,000 years ago. Um, it, it's, it, it's a tour that changes your life, so... I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It is uh, getting late. Um, do we have? Do you want to take a question or two? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll we'll do a I couple of questions. Over. If anybody has a question you'd like to ask, just raise your hand. If you're all wiped out and tired midweek, yes. How? How? Okay. Good question. Um, right now, Israel opened. Israel was closed for tourism until uh, July 1st, until uh, June, June 1st. Um, now it's, they decided to postpone it to July 1st to let tourists come. Um, they had uh, a few groups to see how it works. And um, you know, in Israel, we are all um, 
vaccinated. I mean, I've, you cannot work as a tour guide or as a driver if you don't have the, uh, the vaccine. And, and the, the, the demand today is that you're going to have a corona test before you come to Israel. If you don't have a vaccine, they won't let you in right now. I mean, no country. Europe is closed for people without the vaccine. So is Thailand, so, in, so is New Zealand and Australia, and of course, uh, Philippines and so on. And the only country that let people come in without the vaccine is the United States, from all them. You can go to Europe without having the vaccine. Right now, this is, the, this is what they require you, to have the, the corona test and the vaccine. Um, we are not so concerned because most of the Israelis are uh, not really uh, exposed to the tourists. And usually you stay as a group and you eat in the dining room and don't really uh, uh, hang around the Israelis. But Israel is always looking toward Europe to see uh, when Europe is going to lift the restrictions. I don't know how things are going to be, but I, th I hope by November, December, they're going to lift the requirement of having the vaccine. It, it's very different. For me, getting the vaccine is very normal. Uh, I was in a church in uh, Temecula uh, a while ago, and people asked me, did you really take it? I said, yes. And I said, did they inject you anything? I said, what? And they said, did you, did you put any capsule? I said, what are you talking about? I saw eight drops in the needle, and that's what came in. And, but um, I'm not going to judge people that don't, don't want to get the vaccine. This is, of course, not none of my concern. But I can tell you one thing, that Israel is a free country. We don't suffer because of the vaccine. People we had 7.8 million people got the vaccine in Israel. 7.8. Nobody died. Nobody had the terrible side effects. About 22, 23 kids had a little problem with a little thing around their heart, like infection around their heart, and they got the antibiotic, and they got out of, out of death right away. We got, a, we were the testing field of uh, Pfizer. I mean, they gave us all the, the, when you didn't have it yet, we got all the vaccines for all Israel with the condition that we opened the books and showed them everything. So American will never say, hey, I don't want you to know anything about my DNA. Israelis couldn't care less. And um, that's why Pfizer was able to come into the country and give everybody the, uh, the shot, and, and we're okay. But as long as Americans don't get the, the, I mean, half of them do, I mean, the, the part they don't want to get, they might, have a, they might face a problem. They won't let you in the country if you don't have the shot. Very simple. But it's going to be lifted. The question is when. And remember, so we're pushed out to March March 14th of 2022, and, and if we're going to, so we have time to see this lift, and, and people have asked about that. Can I sign up for the tour, and, and if I decide not to go or if I can't, uh, you know, can, you, can, you can cancel, and we give you very definite dates of when that, when you have to cancel by to get, I, I think there's a $200 um, fee that you would lose max if you ended up canceling from the tour. Uh, I don't, up to 120 days, and then after that, it, 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 you lose more. So yeah. we will be very clear about, okay, we're coming up today to 120 days from the tour. Anyone who's, if, if there's an uncertainty, I think with Roni, if it's not lifted by the end of the year, I'll be surprised. I think we'll be far enough beyond that. But Yes, we'll, we'll see. Uh, by the way, the policy of 120 days is but the airline won't get the money 90 days before the flight. In the Israeli authorities, tell you, they'll tell you now, pay whenever you want. I don't think even Sandy will give any hard time with the deposit because of if the people are not going to come because they're not vaccinated. That's what I think. When I say Sandy, I mean uh, medicine travel. But, uh, but um, 
I can tell you one thing uh, f uh, from my point personally. Uh, my, not never mind that. But uh, but uh, do whatever you want. I can. I I just know. I spoke two days ago. I spoke to Pastor from Hawaii. His name is Pastor Waxer, and he asked me, Ronnie, uh, we don't want to get the. We we are Trump people. We don't get the. And he said, don't. And then I asked him, you know, you just sent missions to India and to and to Africa. And you, everybody got three shots, malaria and whatever. This is okay. He said, it wasn't tested good time enough. I, I mean, we need more time. I said, you know, when I was young, uh, there was still polio. And Dr. Jonas Salek invented within five months the, the shot. And everybody took it. Nobody was saying it's too, it's too short, it's too long. Malaria is the same. Within weeks, it was uh, 10 weeks, I think it was, in, it, was it came into... Uh, I can tell you one thing. Eight million people got a shot in Israel. We are all still alive. Now the rest is up to everybody. Yeah, and I, and I, I told everybody at our, um, at our Israel kind of interest meeting, I said, you know, my wife and I, we got the shot. We got the Moderna shot. Um, we, we didn't feel like we had a choice because we have a son to go get in Africa. And we're not going to have anything hold us back. But the upside is that I can tell you after having had the vaccination, I have never yet had a desire either to worship the beast <laughs> or to change my political affiliation. So I, I'm just living proof that it's maybe okay. But again, you know, let me be really serious about this. Everybody has strong feelings one way or another, and, and we're going to honor that. Uh, in this fellowship, um, that's, that's, not, that's your business. You know, the vaccination is between you and, and Jesus. So you talk to him, and you work it out, and if you feel like it's good, you know, we, we had, to get, had to get yellow fever and typhoid shots. Yeah. Uh, very expensive just to travel to Ghana. So that's, that's where I'm at on it. But, again, it's, it's between you and the Lord, and when I, either way, wherever you stand on it, as with everything else related to this whole COVID thing, uh, we just don't want it to divide us, right? Any other questions for Roni? Good. Yeah, I think we yes. got a big seven eight seven. <laughs> I know. I came. Um, I came. I I was in a big big conference in Temecula uh, three months ago. I came for in and out, and I have a very good friend in. Uh, in um, Minnesota that he's a um, big, big shot in the Catholic world. He said, how come you never come and speak with my people? So I said, okay, invite me. And he invited me. So I came and asked Cindy, I said, I'm here. Do you, do you want me to go? She said, you want to go to Seattle? I said, yes. And here I am. So just, just so I've been, you know, um, I can say it frankly, we are very good friends here and we know each other for years and I've, I feel very comfortable with your pastor. And um, and I'm looking for the tools because we have good tools. I mean, on top of talking, it's it's a high level tool. So I, I I have to give you a compliment. Um, you are most likely one of the higher level of knowledge in Bible when I come to see other tools. I know, I don't rate them, but it's very easy for me to start a little higher than from Noah. And uh, so we get along very well on the tour. And so when he says, I'm coming, uh, right away I block the dates, and uh, that's it. So you are one of the 10, 12 tours I'm going to do next year, maybe 10 only. So thank you for coming, and thank you for listening. It was great to see all those familiar faces. You're, you're super. Thank you. I wouldn't listen to me that long.
So let's pray, and we'll let you all go. Father, thank you so much for, for Roni and for the knowledge you've given him, the heart that you've given him, the love that you've given him for the land. Uh, we thank you that you have connected us and that we are able to share that blessing together uh, throughout Israel, and, and now even here in, in Oak Harbor. Um, Father, I just pray that you'll bless everyone here tonight. We thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.